Understood is a resource I have recommended for many years to parents looking for support with learning and thinking differences such as ADHD, dyslexia, and more. And I'm subsequently excited to tell you about their podcast, Understood Explains. This season, the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Urtube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. They cover topics such as how to tell if your child needs an IEP, common myths about special education, and the difference between IEPs and 504 plans. I love how Understood Explains breaks down the overwhelm by unpacking an important topic each season and then drilling down further into key basics in each episode. Most episodes are between 10 to 15 minutes, and episodes are available in both English and Spanish. So fantastic, right? To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, your host, Christine Coe, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you will come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Hello, friends. I have been wanting to bring this interview with Dr. Ken Ginsberg of the Center for Parent and Teen Communication out of the locked archive for some time. This conversation was originally recorded six years ago. You will hear reference to Laurel as a 13-year-old. And yet, the topics are so evergreen and necessary. In fact, in present day, some of the things we talk about feel even more compelling and pressing. This subject matter is top of mind for two reasons. First, because I'm deep in the tween and teen world with my own kids right now who are 12 and 19. And like many parents, I find it alternately complex and very joyful. And second, because right now, especially as kids are thinking forward to transitions out of high school and into the next phase of their life, whether that's work, college, or something else, it can be a really, really stressful time for families. Ken Ginsberg is one of the most impassioned advocates for young people I know. Through the Center for Parent and Teen Communication, he has worked to help parents and caregivers embrace kids for who they are and support them in their strengths. Ken and I talk about flipping the script on what parenting teens is like, supporting teens in using their voices, how to truly listen to kids, helping kids harness their idealism, developing resilience, and more. It's a beautiful conversation. I also want to point you to some excellent companion episodes, which I will link up in the show notes. First, since I was talking about the stress of teen transitions, one of them being the transition to college for those who are applying, I want to refer you to College Application Reality Check. For those who have kids thinking about college as their next step, this is a really good episode for right now amidst the chaos of the application season. In the parenting realm, I have a laundry list of really wonderful episodes. There's more in the catalog, but here are some specific episodes I wanted to call to your attention. First, a recent conversation with Devorah Heitner on growing up in public, which is all about tech and parenting. 
Raising Middle Schoolers with Phyllis Fagel, who is a school counselor and an amazing expert in the tween and teen realm. Untangling Overparenting with author Jessica Leahy, also an incredible read. She has another book called The Addiction Inoculation, which is also an excellent read. The Conversation Raising Teenagers with Mary Dell Harrington. Mary Dell is one of the co-founders of the Grown and Flown community and co-author of a book of the same name. Simple and Compassionate Parenting Tactics with the amazing Dr. Tina Payne Bryson. I do recommend you go to that episode with a piece of paper and a pencil in hand or perhaps your phone app. There are so many nuggets of wisdom in that episode. Raising Functional and Kind Kids with the wonderful author Catherine Newman and How to Raise Kids to be Thrivers with Dr. Michelle Borba. So many good listens to helping you develop your parenting toolkit as your kids grow. And then I also wanted to reference a couple of books that are specifically in the communicating with kids realm. One is the recent release, How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Robin Silverman, and then How to Improve Communication with Kids with Ned Johnson. All of these episodes are wonderful. I will link them up, create the associated graphics and all that so you remember what the names of them are. And I highly recommend you take a listen. We'll be right back with Dr. Ken Ginsberg. People often talk about the impact of things like stress, hormone fluctuations, and nutrition on skin, but did you know those things impact your hair too? If you've been dealing with hair thinning, you are not alone, and Nutrafol is here to help. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist-recommended hair growth supplement, with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger, faster-growing hair with less shedding. I appreciate that they offer formulas tailored to different life stages, such as postpartum and menopause, as well as different lifestyles, such as plant-based diets. In a clinical study, 86% of women reported improved hair growth after taking Nutrafol Women's Hair Growth Supplement for six months. Take the first step to visibly thicker, healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering Edit Your Life listeners $10 off your first month subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code EDIT. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and hairstylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. That's Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, and use promo code EDIT. That's Nutrafol.com, using promo code EDIT. Did you know that hyaluronic acid naturally occurs in our skin, but decreases gradually as we age, leading to thinner, drier skin? If you're looking for support hydrating your skin from the inside out, check out one of the tools in my hydration arsenal, Rituals Hyacera, which I take every morning. Rituals products are tested and validated by a third party for allergens, microbes, and heavy metals, and Hyacera is clinically proven to reduce fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. They also engage in industry-leading sustainability standards and are a female-founded B Corp, which means they hold themselves accountable to not just their company's financial health, but also the health of people and our planet. Want to join me in hydrating from the inside out? Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash edit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash edit for 25% off. Welcome, Ken. I am so delighted to have you on the show. Thank you for joining us today. It's a pleasure to be here. 
Yes. Well, so I'm going to get right into it because I know we have a lot to cover today. And, you know, something that Asha and I have talked a lot about on this show and elsewhere um, is how passionate we are about flipping the script about teens. You know, teens get such a bad rap these days, or they have in the past. And as parents of teens, we have both found this to totally not be the case. And given your work at the Center for Parent and Teen Communication at CHOP, the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, of which you are co-director, I am sure you have a lot of feelings about this. So I'm actually curious. I'd like to kind of dial back to the very sort of the origin. I would love to know, why do you think adults hold teens to low expectations? Where do you think these stereotypes are coming from? I think there are so many reasons. But first, I'd like to give you an amen. <laughs> like, thank you <laughs> for wanting to flip this uh, script. And thank you for acknowledging that parenting during adolescence can be some of the most rewarding times. But let's talk about what adolescence is, right? Adolescence is a process, not an event. It's a process of change. It's when you're trying to answer the question, who am I? Like literally the biggest question a human being can have. It is about stretching. It's about figuring out who you are. If you're a good stretcher, then you're also going to be challenging expectations and limits to figure out how far they go. And that ain't always easy for adults. Mm. That's number one. Number two, as a society, we have always moved forward because the adolescents tell us what they notice doesn't make sense. It's their righteous indignation that allows us to look at ourselves and see what needs to be changed. And that also doesn't always feel good. Within our homes, the hardest developmental task of your entire lifetime is choosing to fly from a comfortable nest. It is sheer insanity to want to leave your com your parents' comfortable nest that they've set up for you. The only way you're going to imagine wanting to fly is to look at that nest and to begin imagining it as a little bit prickly. And then ultimately uninhabitable. You look at the birds who have been feeding you and you have to become embarrassed by the way they breed. So part of the developmental process of getting ready to leave means that we have to temporarily push our parents a little bit away. And that hurts. One step deeper. That is and that, really interesting. <laughs> yeah. I, well, I I really hadn't thought about it like that, but I feel it's it's um I feel like what you're saying is that actually discomfort of which I, I which I believe is incredibly powerful and useful to the human experience like discomfort it's almost like this evolutionary kind of necessity right developmentally is that what you're saying it's like they're getting ready to fly and they're preparing us to allow them to fly which means that push a little bit is normal and it's expected. And when we hover and when we don't allow them to stretch their wings, their developmental needs will be stifled and they will push further. Right. So if you understand this, Christine, and all the parents listening, if you understand that the reason why kids sometimes push us away, sometimes they act embarrassed by us or like they don't even like us. If we understand that that actually is because they love us so intensely that it hurts. If you understand that, then you know how to be a parent. You don't when someone's pushing you away, you don't push back. 
you celebrate and you acknowledge and build on the strength of relationship while honoring their need to become more independent. Mm, I love that. I love that. That is so, so, so powerful. And really, I think, um, involves a, a kind of a mind shift for parents to kind of think about that in a different way. So interesting. Well, okay. So we were, ta- we were talking about discomfort, which is actually related to something else I wanted to ask you about. Now, you know, one big myth that adults have regarding teens is that they feel that teens think they're invulnerable. And, you know, what has actually been very clear very recently, you know, due to kind of, um, you know, events going on in the country, you know, teens are stepping up and they are saying, hey, I don't feel safe and I want you to address what's going on. You know, how how do you best I know this is a big question, but how do you think adults can best help kids during these periods when, you know, there's a lot of unease, there's a lot of fear. And the reality is, you know, an adult, a parent can't necessarily assure them that everything is going to be okay. So the myth of invulnerability or the myth of invincibility, which has absolutely been proven scientifically to be a myth, absolutely hurts adult teen relationships because once you see or believe that a young person thinks they're invincible, the script you begin playing in your head is you can't talk any sense into them anyway. And then we withdraw instead of engage, condemn instead of support. The moment in time that we are watching now, I believe, can really help us all flip that script and understand that kids actually worry a lot about their safety. They don't think they're invulnerable or invincible at all. So how do we support them? First, we give them clear and safe boundaries and let them know that to the best of our knowledge, we are protecting them in the same way we did when they were little. Next, we have honest conversations with them about how to stay safe. Because you know what? Life is about odds. And that's the truth. None of us come with guarantees, but we all play the odds. We know where to be. We know where not to be. But next, part of what makes people feel safe is when they feel powerful. Part of what makes them feel powerful is when they feel empowered, which means that we have to support their efforts at advocacy rather than looking at these young people for whatever cause they're picking, right? Whatever their cause they're picking, rather than saying that's naive, that's ridiculous, that's the way they think things are, you congratulate them for finding their power, finding their voice. And then if you don't mind me saying it, adults have to get their act together. When teenagers are pointing out what it is that needs to change, and again, I'm not taking any particular issue, but when kids, when adults point out what needs to change, we need to look at ourselves and go, hey, maybe it does. The beautiful thing about youth is that they imagine the world as it should be rather than accept it as it is. And adults just too commonly look at, well, this is the way it is, so can't change that. Let's celebrate them. Do you think this is I love this. And do you think that's why uh, the way you said it just now was so perfect, you know, that that, um, you know, youth will see the world as 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 it is. How do, however, you just said that it was beautiful. And I wonder if that um, uh, the kind of pessimism pessimism that develops in adults, is that why 
you know, we can sometimes have trouble listening, like just listening, I feel like is such an important thing that people often forget about um, doing because you're sort of working on your adversarial stance, like while the other person is talking. So I would I would just love to hear your thoughts about listening to kids and and how adults can do that better. Well, first of all, that was a really brilliant point. The biggest obstacle to listening is that you're trying to come up with the answer while the other person is talking. Right. Mm -hmm. And if you just remember that relationships are built on respect and that the best possible way to demonstrate respect to any human being, your colleague, your boss, your spouse or your child is to authentically listen to them. But the other point you made, I, I couldn't agree with more, which is. Once we've decided something can't change or can't be done, then we just begin not feeling bad about ourselves by going, well, gosh, let me go on and handle those things I can change. And as a result, when someone suggests something should be done, we naturally want to shut them down. Mm. And that's not the way to build a generation that will hopefully change the world for the better. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yes, indeed. And I, I, I couldn't agree more with that. Um, and I, I have to give a nod, a little shout out actually to my husband, who's a therapist and has been a guest on this show a couple of times because I think I really learned about being a better listener from him because I grew up in a family of seven. So we were literally, you know, steamrolling each other's words all the time. So anyway, listening is definitely it's it's something you actually have to work on as forever. Would you agree? Yes, I'm 56 and I'm not perfect at this, right? <laughs> um, so, you know, life's a journey, not an event. And can I give parents another reason why listening is such an important strategy? Absolutely. It is our job to keep kids safe. It is our job to set rules and boundaries around issues that have to do with morality and safety. And here's what we know. What we used to do is we used to all we you know, the public service announcement said to parents, hey, parents, ask your kids where they're going, what they're doing, uh, when they're going to be back. You know, all the questions that made people feel like they were good parents. You don't see those public service announcements anymore. You know why? Because kids lied. What mm. we know is that parents who are most effective in really having authority and guidance over their children are those parents who know what's going on. And those parents who know what's going on are not the ones who ask a lot of questions or talk too much. It's the ones who are sounding boards, who give good advice when asked, because kids want to be heard and when they want to be heard and you listen, suddenly you find out what's going on in their lives. So it's not just that it's good for their development in the future that they learn how to talk. It is also that allows you to parent more effectively in the present when you listen, because when you listen is precisely when people will tell you what's going on in their lives. And then you know when to dive in. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I think we have as humans kind of have a tendency against kind of silence or, or letting, you know, letting space breathe. And I think that's I found with my kids that that's when if I just wait and don't try to fill that silence, that's when they start talking, too. So. I, I'm so glad you made that point. Now, I want to talk about another myth um, that I know you've you've done some work in and thought a lot about. But um, that is that, you know, people tend to think kids, teens are very self-centered. But 
you know, again, as we've been talking about and as we are seeing unfold in front of us right now, they are idealists who want change. So what are we've touched on some of this, but, you know, what are some key ways to help, um, you know, young people harness their idealism so that they can work towards a goal? I don't know if you have a, you know, a specific example or sort of more general ideas, but I just think there's a, there are definitely some things to unpack there. Yeah. So first, let's unpack the what we're seeing now. What we're seeing now is getting a lot of play in the news, but is actually not a new phenomenon. You know, there are folks um, for decades, at least, where young people have been seeing injustice. You know, most recently, you know, Black Lives Matter. There's so many things that have been going on for years, not just in the last couple of months. So let's be clear about that. Okay, Um, but this is definitely a moment in time. The first thing I would say is um, don't shut it down. Mm -hmm. Right. Don't don't shut it down by um, telling kids that they're wrong to be trying to change something that can't be changed. And let's think about what's really happening and how to change it. You know, we survive on some level walking down the street, seeing things that are not reasonable, that are not fair by averting our eyes. Right. That's what we do. That's how we get through the blocks when we see people who are suffering is we avert our eyes. Let me tell you something, Christine. We need our kids not to avert their eyes. Right. That's how we're going to find the solutions is with the next generation. So we need not to tell them to avert their eyes. You know, we as a generation right now, we feel empowered when we go into our corners, right? When we go into our little tribes where we hear the echo chambers where people agree with us, that seems to be where adults are going. We desperately need young people not to go into their corners. We desperately need them to respect each other, even with differing views. And that means supporting them when they're listening to each other. Next. Adults tend to, you know, whether you're talking about something big like societal change or whether you're talking about, you know, just a young person telling you what should be different in your house. Adults tend to kind of snicker or or suggest the change can't happen. Instead, we have to become the guides instead of shutting them down and telling them the possibility doesn't exist. We have to begin asking them, how are you going to make it happen? Like, don't just come to me with a complaint. Come to me with a solution. Management 101, right? Mm -hmm. Don't just complain. Give me the solution. So when a young person suggests something's wrong, say, how could you make that change happen? What will you do? How will you make it happen? But then I'm going to give you one more thought, Christine. And I think that this is, by the way, I could be talking to adults. I could be talking to 80-year-olds and I would give the same advice. When you dream big, Also keep something that is palpable and changeable in play at the moment. In other words, you don't want to feel disempowered because big changes happen too slowly. Every individual needs to know that they matter, that they matter to other people, that they matter to their community. That's why while you're thinking big, don't forget about the loving acts of kindness that we should be exhibiting every single day in our life. Don't forget about the fact that when we clean up a park or we help an elder carry her groceries up the stairs and we get thank yous, we see a distance, uh, a difference in front of us. When we're only thinking far, far in the distance, 
then we begin to feel disempowered when we don't witness change. But we have to also learn that change is small and change can be in our every human interaction when we are committed to repairing the world in our own world and exhibiting acts of loving kindness to our neighbors. That way people really see change as possible. And that's the way to keep idealism going. I think that's really wonderful and so powerful. And I just want to quickly tell you about something that happened with my teenager. She's she's 13, but she she is a big dreamer. And when she turned 13, I had this I actually wrote a post about this and that I you know, she tends to have such big ideas that, you know, my inclination is like, oh, really? Like, (laughs) are you going to be able to do that? But she had this idea last last year to um, do a community beautification project. And it sounded very large and very difficult. But I said, well, I don't know. Okay, um, why don't you think about some ways to make it happen? And within a couple of months, she had a meeting with the mayor. She went to the Parks and Recreation, Recreation Department for the city, all of these crazy things. It was like Civics 101 and, you know, practice writing email to public officials. And, you know, in that moment, I said to myself, I can never shut another idea down. I have to just at least let her try. Right. Isn't that it was just crazy. (laughs) What you don't see right now is the grin on my face. Like, I'm so happy to hear that story and that you're a parent who, like, learned that lesson. So, you know, life is about moving mountains, but you can't move the mountain all in one step. You have to understand that mountains are just a series of hills and you just climb on one hill. You get secure in your footing. You go to another hill. You get secure in your footing and suddenly you're near the top of the mountain. That's what your daughter discovered. Mm -hmm. She had a dream, but that dream doesn't happen by carrying a poster. That dream happens by breaking it down into small, manageable steps, succeeding in one step and then imagining you can move to another. As you know, I am all about micro-improvements, and if you'd like to dedicate a little time each day to learn a language, I have a great solution for you. Babbel is a science-backed language learning app that offers 10-minute language lessons designed to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Materials are rooted in real-life situations, so you can learn important basics such as ordering food and asking for directions. Babbel offers personalized learning content, real-time feedback, tracking, and visualizations, and their speech recognition technology helps you to improve your pronunciation and accent. No matter what level you are looking for, casual, intense, or something in between, you can enjoy app lessons, podcasts, and live classes from the comfort of your home on your schedule. Here's a special limited-time deal for Edit Your Life listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription. This is only for Edit Your Life listeners at babbel.com slash edit. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash edit. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash edit. Rules and restrictions may apply. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Do you struggle with boundaries and the general complexities of peopling? Relationships are necessary to our well-being and some relationships are just, well, complicated. A good chunk of the work I have done in therapy centers on relationships, how to own my part of the story, how to let go of relationships that are toxic, and how to navigate challenging relationships in a way that doesn't drain me. And all of this work helps me show up better for myself and also as a partner, mom, friend, family member, and business owner. If you're thinking of starting therapy, check out BetterHelp. 
This online therapy platform was designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Find your social sweet spot with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash edit today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash edit. Now, I want to, um, this is kind of a biggie, but I have a question for you. So much of what you've done, your life work really, has been about preparing kids to thrive, even through the good and bad. Um, you know, this is resilience and a lot of work you do. I'm curious, do you see a connection between empathy and resilience? Absolutely, positively, without a shadow of a doubt. Let's begin <laughs> defining resilience a little bit differently, all right? So when you think about resilience, you know, you can talk about it in kind of those daily decisions you make to help you thrive. But let's back up and let's really, really look at what the ultimate act of resilience is. The ultimate act of resilience in the worst of times that I hope our children never experience, but the ultimate act of resilience is to have the capability to turn to another human being and to say, brother or sister, I need a hand. That's the person who survives. The person who survives is the person who can reach, period. Human connection is the most powerful protective thing we have. So the question, Christine, is what is it that allows you to reach? And what allows you to reach is believing that there's no pity on the other end. As long as you believe that getting services from someone else, getting support from someone else means they pity you, you are staying silent in your citadel and you will not thrive. The act of service the act of giving to other people, the act of developing empathy for other people teaches you a lesson. It teaches you that it makes you feel good as a human being when you care, when you support, when you give to others. When you learn that those feelings are good, that those feelings are actually in some way selfish and self-affirming, it means that when you have to take one day, when you need to receive, which we all will, you know, whether it's when we're elders or we all will, we can take without shame. And that is ultimately what you're, we're doing to, to prepare our kids. You know, stop looking at the child in front of you thinking, how is she when she's six? Begin imagining it, putting into place all those ingredients that are going to make her thrive when she's 35, 50 and 120. And being able to connect with other people is key. And, and let me throw in one other, a couple other things, actually. When we are kind to other people, we begin to have human interactions with those people. And those people begin watching us. They begin noticing us. You know, Christine, you began the show by talking about the low expectations of young people. I want young people to rise. I want young people to be noticed, to be seen as they deserve to be seen. Right? And I want them to be surrounded by gratitude rather than condemnation. And when we give, when we have empathy and show kindness for other people, they notice our young people and they hold them to that standards. And then the most obvious answer, Christine, is just it helps put things in perspective. You know, I never want any human being to think that any emotion they have is invalid because other people have it worse, right? Because that's really setting people up to feel guilty about their emotions. And that's the last thing I would ever want. But I do want people to understand 
that while each of us have strains and stresses and pressures in our lives, that we also have blessings in our lives. And sometimes the best way to recognize those blessings is to look around you and to notice that not everybody has them. And then we become grateful. And when we become grateful for what we do have, we sometimes become less angry about what we don't have. I, yes, the reason there was a pause there is because my mind is kind of like just turning over and over about all these things you said. And, um, you know, you said you were grinning earlier and I am kind of like fist bumping the air and just, I'm really, it's, it's everything you said. Yes. And I'm, I'm also interested about the way you shifted my understanding of the term resilience or my interpretation of it. Um, you know, with this, with the concept of reaching out and how powerful that is, because I think that in our society, I'd be curious about your thoughts on this, you know, um, asking for help. That's something that people are hard, have a hard time doing, especially moms. <laughs> um, and it's, it's looked at as a sign of weakness. And why do you think that is? I don't know that I'm wise enough to have an answer to that question. Um, I will speak to the moms and the dads who have trouble reaching out for help because, you know, um, men also have problems exhibiting vulnerability. Mm. Right. Um, and I will just remind them that, uh, you know, in the perfect world, like what I wish I could do is talk to every adult in the world and say, you deserve to be happy. You deserve to thrive. But that doesn't actually work because once people are parents, they begin thinking that they're supposed to be sacrificing all the time. And if they're not doing something that's child centered, then it's not good for their children. And I say, stop, stop, stop. One of the most strategic acts of parenting we can do is to take care of ourselves, to model how we recover during difficult times, how we reach out for support. Because again and again, we are raising kids to be healthy 35, 50, 90, and 120-year-olds. And what we know is that we have to model for them what it means to be a healthy adult. And when we don't reach out because we think we're supposed to model strength, we're actually messing up. We're mm -hmm. supposed to model how adults thrive. And I'll also tell you happily that if you care about data, there's so much data that says the kids want their their parents to be happy just about more than they want anything else. That's what makes them feel secure. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes, absolutely. OK, well, so I feel like I could talk to you all day, but I do have two more questions I want to ask you. So I'm going to going to go on to the second one, second to last one. Now, um, our listeners know that we love talking about embracing imperfection and modeling imperfection and the importance of failure. But I feel like imperfection and failure is a tougher pill to swallow for teens and their parents, especially as kids get older and they feel like grades are, you know, everything, you know, especially if a kid is planning on going to college. So what would you say, you know, as a pediatrician and through all the work you've done to a teen parent who might say to you, you know, I'm sorry, Dr. Ken, failure is not an option. Or maybe they might say, you know what, since failure is not an option, I want my kid to avoid stuff they're not good at. 
Do we have three hours for this answer? Because <laughs> because this is so critically important, right? So let's start with the word failure. It's just too strong. It suggests that something's over. And actually, I wish we had another word. Failure really is an opportunity for growth. There are very few things that you can't recover from, all right? And, and again, remember, we are trying to raise kids to be 35-year-old. We're preparing them for the marathon, not the sprint. If you focus too much on the sprint, like you can't fail right now because you won't get into a top college, you are actually setting that child up to feel like everything matters so much that it is like a tiger attacking you. It is a matter of survival. And when you put that sense that you can make no mistakes on any event, any test, any decision, you are actually going to make it so your kid will fail because they're running from the tiger instead of solving the problem. The blood quite literally is in the wrong part of their brain when we create anxiety around these things that are not really dangerous. But remember what adolescence is. And childhood, for that matter, it's the time to learn failure so that you can learn recovery. It is the time to learn to stretch. It is the time to sharpen your strengths. The only way you can sharpen your strengths to build your spikes is to not only know what you're good at, but to know what you're bad at and to learn how to compensate for what you're bad at. Super duper successful people are not good at everything. They're usually extraordinary at something, and then they know how to get other people to handle the other things in their life. Dude, I literally could can't turn a screwdriver. Like literally, I literally have no sense of direction. If I'm looking at it, it's north. But give me a kid in trouble, and I can handle it. That's my spike. Adolescence is the time to learn your unevenness, to celebrate your unevenness so that you can figure out what your spike is and what you bring to the world. You know, what I tell young people is this. Work hard at everything you do, because if you don't, then you will never be satisfied or trust the results. There are going to be some things that are going to come so easily to you. You know, but you're not that interested in them, but they're just come naturally to you. Those are life's freebies. You don't get a lot of them. Celebrate them. There's going to be some things that don't come super easily to you, but that you really um, love. And when you get something wrong, you're not upset about the grade. You just want the knowledge because you want to get better. That's going to be your career. There's going to be other things that you're pretty good at, but not great at. But gosh, you have a good time doing it. That's going to become your hobby. There are other things that you're not going to be good at and that don't come naturally to you. Take the opportunity to learn as much as you can because you're never going to learn as much as you do right now. So get the tutoring, get the support, whatever. Learn, learn, learn. But you may not be great at it. Forget about it. Just learn what you can now. Otherwise, it's that last piece that creates so much anxiety in people that they can't think and everything goes lower. I don't want my kid to be good at everything. I want them to elevate to what they are excellent at. 
And the only way they're going to learn to elevate, to really give to the world in the way that they could potentially be destined to do is to fail. And and one one more final thought. I told you I could do three hours on this. <laughs> but what, one more final thought is if the failure happens when a kid is stretching, that's the furthest thing in the world from a failure. You want to get all A's? Then just stay safe inside the box. Just please the teacher who's talking to you by regurgitating what he or she said to you. It'll get you the A. But that's not success. It's when we're at our limits. It's when we're stretching that we're more likely to achieve a misstep. That's not failure. That's an opportunity for course correction, for coming up with a better idea. I personally guarantee you that if Tommy Edison did a fifth grade essay or a science project and put together imagining the light bulb, I can guarantee you that the red ink on the poster would have said, Tommy, build us a better candle. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, oh, my goodness. I just have so many thoughts. But I will just say on this point that I love the term that you threw out there, um, you know, about around celebrating unevenness, because, you know, really in this current culture, parenting culture, you know, people want parents want their kids to be great at everything and that's just impossible nobody's great at everything so i'm i'm really glad we had a chance not three hours but you know even a few minutes to talk about this um so i would like to just for my last question um you know asha and i close each of our episodes with something that we call your next edit which is something really tangible like a tangible action that listeners can take and implement that day that week whenever so i would be curious. I'm sure you have many to pick from, but just one for today. What is your next edit related to raising teens based on our conversation today or just raising kids in general? So, you know, I'm going to riff off of what we just talked about, and I'm going to talk about how it is that you can choose to know when it's safe to let your child fail and when it's not. Let's go back to the beginning. We said that the fundamental question of adolescence is who am I? Imagine this as a jigsaw puzzle. How do you put together, with, with a thousand pieces, how do you put together your jigsaw puzzle? You start with the edges. That's the importance of having clear boundaries that kids cannot go beyond, clear boundaries that they understand. What next do you do when you put together your puzzle? You group the pieces that look the same. You put the reds together and you say, is this going to be a cherry, a fire engine, a balloon? And then what do you do? You look at the cover on the box to see what it really is. Is oh, it ended up being a rose with cover box. When we look at adolescents as this puzzle, we give them clear boundaries. We give them clear role models as the cover on the box. Kids can get through adolescence okay. What's left? It's all the irregular pieces in the middle. All those pieces within safe boundaries, within moral boundaries. All of those irregular pieces that kids can only find through trial and error, only find through failure and recovery, only find by trying to put the puzzle pieces together, pulling them apart, trying again. That's their work. And we have to get out of the way. And that's where we allow failure. And that's where we allow them to grow. So if I had to give you one sentence, the sentence would look something like this. Ask yourself. This thing my child is going through, 
um, right now? Is it inside the borders of the puzzle or outside? Because that defines whether I should jump in and protect my child or let them learn the lesson on their own. Okay, so that puzzle analogy is it's it's going to be the most brilliant thing I've heard all day. That is unbelievable. So I think that is a great place to um, close this interview. And Ken, I cannot thank you enough for, you know, the wisdom, the compassion, um, the, you know, I'm a data nerd. So the data driven information that you provided today was really, really a pleasure to talk with you. It was my pleasure. Thank you for supporting parents and families. Thank you. Take care. Friends, wasn't that conversation wonderful? Aren't you fired up to support your teen in who they are and what they want to be? You'll find the show notes for this episode, including links to resources and related episodes at edityourlifeshow.com. As ever, I would love to hear your thoughts and questions. Come say hello on Instagram or Facebook at edityourlifeshow or send an email to edityourlifeshow at gmail.com. I would also be grateful if you would drop Edit Your Life a review on Apple Podcasts or tell a pod-loving friend about the show. Thanks for listening. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us 